This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 7.06 Thursday, the 16th of November, and of course you're listening to The Morning Run with Philip C. and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now in about 30 minutes, we'll be speaking to Dr. Pradeep Taneja, Senior Lecturer in Asian Studies from the University of Melbourne, for his take on the very recently concluded U.S. and China leaders meeting that's happening in San Francisco. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. All a very nice shade of green. The U.S. markets were all in the up. The Dow was up 0.5%. S&P 500 up 0.2%. The Nasdaq was up marginally at 0.07%. Over across in Asia, I think taking cue from the previous day, the Nikkei was also up 2.5%. Hang Seng up 3.9%. Shanghai Composite up 0.6%. And Singapore's STA up 0.9%. Back home, FBM KLCI up 1.0%. Oh, let's cheer. <laughs> let's see how long that lasts, though. <laughs> uh, but for some insights on where global markets are heading, we speak to Vishnu Varatan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank. Vishnu, is the word of the day soft landing? Because the data seems to point uh, towards it. We've got retail sales slower in October, whilst prices paid to US producers also declined by the most since April 2020. Has Jerome Powell achieved his goal? Wow, that's a loaded question, Shaolin. <laughs> uh, I would much rather think of it, uh, using the same term, of course, I would rather, rather, uh, much rather think of it as who's soft and who's landing. Um, China is landing, uh, and, and I think markets are now finding some relief in that landing. Um, but to your question of whether Jerome Powell has achieved it, uh, to be fair to him, even he's not too sure. Uh, even up till the latest press conference, I think his point has been that he would love to have achieved it. It is one of his primary objectives if he can, but it will... It, it will not be uh, the objective that gets in the way of anchoring inflation expectations. And because he also alludes to the so-called long and variable legs of monetary policy, uh, I think he's cautious that it is too early, too premature to tell uh, or to celebrate. And is that concern and volatility and uncertainty also extended to the rest of the world, right, with respect to combating inflationary pressures, especially in Southeast Asia? Unless you're in China, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I guess only China has got uh, deflation on its cards. And in, in Asia, I think we are particularly concerned uh, for, I, I think, primarily three reasons. One is uh, the nature uh, of and the interaction of shocks right now between uh, weather-related, El Nino food-related shocks and, and geopolitical energy-related shocks. So that's uh, the, the interaction between them makes uh, Southeast Asia more vulnerable given the weight of the goods. Um, the, the second reason around it is that in many pla- in many countries in Southeast Asia, fiscal subsidies need to be trimmed, which means prices uh, tend to go up. And, and so that would have an impact. And, and last but not least, this is a half full version. Uh, tourism is resuming, it's the good news, but it also means that your services inflation will become uh, that little bit stickier and upward, uh, upwardly inclined. Let's talk about China then. Retail sales and industrial production grew faster than expected in October. How much of this growth is just seasonal-related spending or is it shoots of real growth? I, I, I think you know, that's, that's a very, uh, you know, very pertinent and, and pointed question. Uh, and, I, and I think maybe we can, you know, we, we can think of it in two ways. One of it is, uh, yes, there, there has been some 
you know, green shoots appearing. Uh, but the green shoots are in the context of a very prolonged inventory drawdown globally and a, and, and a prolonged slump uh, in, in China's industrial sector. So the, the industrial pickup probably points to a bottoming in global manufacturing. So we've got our fingers crossed. At least it looks like that will come through in the semiconductor cycle with a bit of electronic spillover. Uh, as for the retail sales picking up, I think consumers are beginning uh, to spend, and, and we must remember they're coming from a soft base, but we have yet to see evidence of confidence being fully restored. So their spending patterns are still restrained, and, and I think that's our reservation. And that confidence is underpinned by concerns over the property market, right? I mean, we've seen the Chinese government trying to start in, now start to inject some stimulus into that sector. Do you think that will help actually put some baseline or floor to the concerns? Philip, I'm afraid only you hit the home run, no pun intended, with identifying the issue. I don't think Beijing has hit the home run yet in terms mm. of arresting and reversing the problems. Um, we so I'm not saying the measures have not worked. In fact, there, there, are, there is some relief, some silver linings. But a lot of the effect is in where people are more confident, like the tier one cities. The spillover effect into tier two, tier, tier three, tier four cities is, is really not convincing. So we don't see the cash flows being restored in that particular ecosystem. But then on the flip side, we do see the International Monetary Fund raising their 2023 China growth forecast to 5.4% along with its 2024 growth forecast to 4.6%. I are, are you similarly so bullish? Because I, I think this is, you know, despite all the negative data that has come out. I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, I'll be the first to put up my hand and say, you know, look, we, we too revised our, our growth up slightly to 5.2 uh, from 4.8. But that's purely arithmetic uh, initially because there were some, uh, you know, quarters of good growth. And also... Um, I think the IMF is right in identifying that some of the steps taken will start to arrest. So the, the, the negative multiplier effects may not be as horrendous as initially thought. But I would agree with the IMF. So in terms of the, the direction of the re, uh, revisions, it, it looks like how come so upbeat? But mm. because the starting point was quite downbeat and identifying the underlying trend growth uh, below 5%, uh, we would probably be a little bit closer to 4%, but between four to five, that seems reasonable in the context of structural headwinds keeping growth down, but Beijing not giving up yet and, and, and you know continuing to release some measures. Uh, we see that happening through uh, early 2024. And just shifting our attention to over the West, the EU, right? EU just said overnight that you're area to avoid a recession as inflation retreats. Do you agree that the EU will avoid a recession? Um, I, I if, if, if we were to... Uh, stack it up in terms of uh, whether uh, the the two consecutive quarters of contraction can be averted. Perhaps yes, but you know, for all intents and purposes, if we look at the the PMIs, uh, eurozone has got far worse PMIs than the overall global economy has on a trend basis, not on a on a spot data. Uh, and in Germany, you know, both services and and manufacturing have been in contraction for a bit. They dip back into contraction, so it does look like. Uh, worst case scenarios will be averted, mm. but the recovery may not be as strong as they would ho have hoped for. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Vishnu Bharatan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank.
Well, it seems like it's a bit of a Goldilocks moment for everybody, right? So Europe is averting a recession. China, we're seeing a bit mm. of green shoots in terms of recovery. GDP forecasts have been upped by IMF and also Vishnu included. And US, soft landing, maybe not. He's not. 100% sure yet? Well, you know, I was very struck by what, uh, you know, Vishnu has said about, you know, the US uncertainty because I was just reading the New Straits Times. There was one page, right, where you have Austin Goldsby, the chief economist, saying, look, hailing this inflation. You see Kathy Wood saying, next you're going to have a deflation. And then Jamie Dimon saying, actually, we shouldn't read too much into the soft numbers, that the short-term numbers here, right? So the picture is so mixed. We don't which really know... Which profit do we believe? Which profit do we believe in, right? The government, Kathy Woods or Jamie Dimon? Really, I think that's one of the biggest concerns here. Maybe just pick a little bit of about it and do your average. Half, half, one third, one third, one, one third. third. One third, one third, one <laughs> third. Okay, let's turn our attention to what is probably a good barometer of how the US mm. consumer household feels and that is Target and Target actually beat Wall Street expectations for the fiscal third quarter earnings and revenue thanks to purchases of high frequency items like food and beauty that help boost spending. So profit jumped 36% year on year to $971 million beating analyst expectations which is the most important thing. Well, you know, Keith Kam will call it Target. Uh, revenue, however, <laughs> fell 4.2% to $25.4 billion as customers broadly face higher costs that pull back on spending. Same store sales, though, dropped nearly 5% year-on-year as customers brought fewer discretionary items. Digital sales declined by 6% compared with a year period. You know, this is also, you know, if you compare and contrast what we saw with Home Depot yesterday, right, you see this overall broad softening of customer demand. But I think this whole question about, you know, whether the physical goods are under a lot of pressure, mm. but the services still remain relatively resilient. Okay, so there is there was a conference call and their CEOs has said that they're in an industry where they've seen seven consecutive quarters where discretionary goods have declined in dollars and units. So consumers are being careful when they come when it comes to shopping for new items. And that's what's really pointing that these rate increases because the mm. Fed fund rate now is at 5 to 5.2% is really beginning to hit the households. So yes, households have saved quite a lot from the COVID during the pandemic. But the repercussions of this continuous rate increases, you can't run from it after yeah, a while, yeah, right? Absolutely. So when you look at Target, what does the street think? Do they still like this name? Uh, the answer is mixed. Actually, it's really even because it's 20 buys, 21 holes, no sales, consensus target price for this stock. 147 US dollars and 99 cents. The stock during regular market hours was up 19 US dollars and 67 cents to 130 US dollars and 46 cents. Uh, in the meantime, they do expect the holiday quarter to look around the same because mm. fourth quarter, always lots of uh, seasonal shopping, right? Yes. Seasonality there for Christmas. Black, wasn't it Black Monday or something like Black that? Black Friday. Black Friday. you obviously it's not a shopping shopper. every day. It is. We just had 11-11 <laughs> and now we're having Black Friday. Friday. I'm yes. confused. Then there's what is it? Uh, something Monday, right? Cyber Monday. Yes. Okay. Any excuse to shop. Uh, let's turn our attention to Cisco, and this is also interesting because they are the la one. You know, the representative of how U.S. companies spend when On it IT. comes. Yeah, when it comes to tech, right? Yeah. So their shares actually got a hammering after market hours because they issued a gloomy forecast for the current quarter, even though actually their results did beat estimates. So revenue rose 7.6% to $14.7 billion. Net income also rose 40% to $3.64 billion. But market doesn't care because it's all about forward earnings. Yeah, that's right. I think as you said, slowing orders for networking 
sticking hard hardware is taking its toll, right? They see a slowdown of new products orders in the first quarter, and customers are currently focused on installing and implementing products in their environment, right? So they estimate that one to two quarters of ship product orders are still waiting to be implemented by customers. Now, as you said, one of the future plans that they're trying to do is to lessen its dependency on one-time sales of equipment and actually shifting into software and services such as security. And that's why they're making an attempt to acquire data crunching software Splunk for $28 billion. Okay, so does a street like this not really because there's only 12 buys, 14 holes, one sell. Consensus target price for this stock is $60.84. US like you say, it got a hammering uh, af- during aftermarket hours trading. But during regular market hours, it was actually up $0.11 cents to $53.28. Uh, $53 and, and very quickly, SpaceX, do you want to go to infinity and beyond, <laughs> Philipsy? Yes, all the time. Every day I feel like it when I hit to work. <laughs> Well, we do take you to the stratosphere. (laughs) But guess what? They are, apparently, according to Bloomberg, they are in talks for an IPO for its fast-growing Starlink satellite business as soon as late 2024. But Elon Musk has shot it down over X. Well, you know, I think that's the thing, right? They expect Starlink to generate about $10 billion in sales in two second quarter for eclipsing its rocket launch business and accounting for two-thirds of its total sales. So it would be a very interesting way to monetize. Apparently, Bloomberg says this is the most valuable private company out there in the worldwide web. Uh, up next, though, we're going to cover the top stories in newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.